Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Schaefer's Market Mashup. I am very excited to introduce today's guest. I have been looking forward to having him on for the longest time. So let's get right to it. Please welcome Adam Warner, an investing renaissance man, author, and trader. Uh, He's the author of Options Volatility Trading, Strategies for Profiting from Market Swings, a book released back in October of 2009. Which perfect timing for market swings. Adam, how are you, man? I'm good, good. Thanks for having me, Patrick. Good, good. Well, I guess I want to start and congratulate you, uh, Julius Randle, <laughs> making the, his first NBA All-Star team <clears throat> and the Knicks' first since Kristaps Porzingis in 2017-2018. He's been great. I mean, you know, I was looking at it and um, I don't know if he's better than like Bam or... Uh, Butler, who got uh, got left off, but he's been fantastic. He's getting triple doubles, he's getting forty points, and it's fun actually that the Knicks are relevant for the first time in kind of forever. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I really, I really like the pieces they have. I have a couple of friends that in Dayton, huge Obi Toppin fan. Uh, I, I see a lot of Sean Marion there with him. So yeah, for for like you said, I'm. I, I never hated the Knicks. You know, I was always just kind of. Well, one, I wasn't threatened by them as a Celtics fan. Two, I always like you know when they're good, it's good for basketball. So I'm happy you guys are on the upswing. Yeah, I mean, I'm old enough to uh, remember the '90s extremely well, and um, like last year when the Michael Jordan thing was on, and um, my son came in and was watching. I'm like, you know, you know, he has no memory of the Knicks ever being good. I'm like, you know, Knicks were really good in the '90s, you know, year <laughs> after year. They were, <laughs> they were, you know, fun and you know. The game was so different, and they were relevant. You know, for twenty years, they've been terrible. Oh yeah, by and large, so it's like, you know, it's actually fun. They're relevant. I mean, they're not even the title, but wow. they to make the playoffs. It's progress for them. And yeah, they got some good young guys. You know, uh, quickly is very promising. And uh, yeah, like I said, top end. I was so excited when they drafted top end. I thought he was great in college last year. And um, yeah, who knows? You know, it's the Knicks. So what they end up doing is they'll trade five of them for. You know, a 32 year old superstar to decline. Well, I, I, I looked at Toppin's minutes and it was classic Thibodeau, just like playing him 10, 11 minutes. It's like, come on, man, get him out there. Um, well, since you're a new guest, I, I want to start from the beginning. Give me a quick snapshot of your background. I know you were Johns Hopkins, uh, majored in econ, so another fellow D3 person here, <laughs> big lacrosse school. Tell me how you got to where you are today, what you're doing now, just kind of break it down. I um, started the business um, as a uh, as a market maker on the American Stock Exchange. It started in the late 80s, and um, it was a very different business back then. We, um, we had single listed options. In other words, if you wanted to trade like Caterpillar options, you had to come to the Amex if you wanted to trade Phil Morris options. So, Couple off the top of my head, you had to come to Amex. And so there was no, you know, online trading didn't exist at the time. Online didn't really exist at the time. So um, it was a good business for a while, but by the end of the 90s, a lot of things happened to make that poor business. They, they went to, uh, they went to decimals and then to pennies. So they tightened all the markets. They, um, 
exchanges started all listing everybody's options. So you now had competition with all the other exchanges, and then you had online exchanges popped up. And before you know it, the spreads went from you know a quarter to two cents. <laughs> right. And you had to match other markets, and so there's no there's no edge in being on the floor. So I, I left in um, 2001, and just I figured as long as I can like trade, yeah, I might as well as long as I can trade online, I might as well be able to dictate my positions. So I started trading online for um, it's about 2001, and I subscribed to some websites, and one of them was uh, Real Money. It was under the Street.com umbrella, mm-hmm. and they also had a site called Street Insight. And one time they said they were looking for writers, so I, I sent in an email, and they said sure. So um, I got my first ever writing gig, and <laughs> started writing about um, options and volatility. The whatnot for Street Insight. And um, then I went, uh, oh, I, I wanted to switch. I guess I started reading a site called Minionville. I might be dating myself, but <laughs> Todd Harris fan. Like, yeah, you, you <laughs> lost me. It was a popular site at the time. And um, it turned out there was a, a non compete agreement between the two sites. So I had to um, to leave. I had to take, I, think, I forget, it was either three or six months. So I started to, it was, it was about the time blogs were getting popular. Okay. So uh, let me just, I have, I have a few people that read my stuff. So let me just uh, do it in blog form. So I did it and, and um, it got really popular. And um, my most popular topic was, oddly enough, um, Lenny Dykstra. <laughs> <It was fun. laughs> yeah, I was a big Mets fan. I am a big Mets fan. And, um, he started writing up an options column for Kramer's, uh, I forget if it was The Street or Real Money. And he was like making these outlandish recommendations and giving these outlandish representations of how well he was doing. It was became like a running joke. He was recommending deep calls in these stocks. And he was like... Lenny Dykstra was. Lenny Dykstra was, yeah. <laughs> and Lenny Dykstra Investment Guru. There's <laughs> so many incarnations in this time. But any, anyway, so here's this guy who was like, one of my all-time favorite players, but he was just writing. <laughs> I loved him as a kid, and but he was just writing these absurd um, <laughs> options advice columns, and he was like, and he was like misrepresenting his returns. What he would do was he would like mention only the win- winners that he closed out, but he would like ha- let's say he had one that went against him, he would like literally never mention it again. So he, so he would claim like he had like you know ninety nine percent winners, which he very well might have, but. What he didn't mention was like the losers were like the winners were tiny and the few losers were just absolutely enormous. And they went, and if you look, and if you actually looked at the numbers, the losers totally wiped out any wins he had. <laughs> and anyway, obviously, so I, 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 I did this and I once got picked up at Deadspin because I think they covered him once and I, I sent an email, like maybe clarifying what he had done and then they linked to my site and it blew my sight up because I got so many hits just from just from the Lenny Dykes trip. And, and he, I was very sure Lenny obviously did a million other things that got him into trouble beyond yeah. his options thing. Well, that's the long uh, story um, short is never meet your idols, really. Right, right. Exactly. And, <laughs> I, did, I did post my on Twitter once it was about like a music video, I think. I don't think I ever, I never mentioned that I used to write about him. But anyway, so um, from the blog, I started doing... Um, the whole blog thing got outdated, really, you know, with Twitter and whatnot. So 
I just started doing uh, freelance writing after that, which um, led me to Schaefer's and I wrote for um, column for Schaefer's for a number of years and um, plug here. I love, love Schaefer's, love the people. <laughs> yes, there we <laughs> I go. I was sitting there waiting like, here we go. Come on, let's get it. <laughs> <laughs> no, the Aramara and I ever dealt with was just nice, knowledgeable and I, I really um, loved it. I just, um, I just kind of ran out of like daily, <laughs> daily ideas and telling people, I don't know how many times I could tell people, you know, some of these esoteric option products are, you know, fine to trade short term, but they're, they're really bad long term. <laughs> so right now I just, I don't write much anymore, but I, um, I, I trade, I invest, I do more long term investing now. I don't, um, I don't do much in my short term trading. So just, you know, life. Well, it sounds like you, you, you've had your hand in everything and your Twitter profile, which, you know, you, you're, you're, we'll, we'll get into that later, you know, says in VIX we trust. So that's kind of where I'd like to start. Sure. What is a VIX crush and did it play a role in the recent highs and the, you know, subsequent pullback, uh, from 2021, 2020 into 2021? In the past week, you know, we had that, brief, very brief dip below 20. Unpack that a little bit, you know, to start. Well, I think um, VIX is better looked at as reflecting what's happening as opposed to predicting. So I think, um, just remember, VIX is a perpetual 30-day at-the-money-ish option on the SPX, and it measures the volatility of that. So it's ostensibly predicting what the volatility of the market is going to be over the next 30 days. But um, when you look at the numbers, like I used to um, run numbers when you, I believe I this from a book, where if you offset VIX and say, like, does it do, has it do predicting the future versus has it do just predicting what just happened? And I don't remember the exact numbers offhand, but it correlated almost nil with going forward and correlated an awful lot with what just happened. So a, a bit of the crush might be, um, you know, the market was very strong and then it kind of tapered off, but had a real, you know, it's drifting a bit now, but it's not like doing anything too violent. And, and I think the crush is more just reflecting, like it got kind of high last year and it's still, you know, 20, it's still a historically high number. The, let me just look this up real quick. The all time median, is about 17 and a half. Yeah. So, you know, we're still, even at 20, which seems low compared to last year's, we're still on the high side all the time. So I, I think it's just, you know, sort of drifting off the high number. What's happening below the surface is the realized volatility, the actual volatility in SPX is, that is absolutely imploded. That was, um, in, you know, the 30s, the 40s, the 50s last year, the mm -hmm. 20s recently, it's down to about six. That's a very low number. Yeah. Like if you use the rule of 16, where, where 16 is equivalent, 16 in, in volatility number is equivalent to about a 1% move in the market. So in other words, it picks a 16, it's expecting a typical day to be about a 1% range. Realized volatility, which looks back about the last 10 training days, number six, it means that the typical range in the last 10 trading days is, you know, less than half a percent. So, you know, the, the actual ranges are tightening up and the VIX is just kind of 
following that. It, it, it's just been a lot of it's been a lot of consolidation. Yeah, I think we're tight. I mean, I'm not I'm, I'm terrible at guessing where the market's going, mm-hmm. but um, that's what it seems like. You know, the bond yields are going up, so it seems like the market's just kind of you know drifting a little, right? Right? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's not much of a drift. So at this point, you've. Uh mentioned on Twitter a couple times recently, not not saying that I stalk your Twitter, but I did <laughs> did do my research here. You mentioned VIX futures, the VXX. To start, can you differentiate between the VIX and the VXX for those who aren't familiar and then give a snapshot for what you're seeing with the VXX lately? Okay, sure. The um, VIX is an index of actual options. So, it's a, VIX is a 30-day a hypothetical 30-day option on the SPX and measures of volatility of that option. There are futures on the VIX which have fixed expiration dates and they, um, to simplify, it's kind of a bet on where the VIX is going to close on that date in the future. It's a little more complicated than that because mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want to get started on the whole yeah. thing. And then the way they settle it. But um, a VXX is uh, essentially a perpetual 30-day future on the VIX. So it, it's um, more or less a combination of the two near-month VIX futures. So it, 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 it constant, it's always 30 days. VIX itself is not tradable. You can't trade the actual VIX. You can trade the VIX future. That's something very different from the VIX. Mm-hmm. The VIX itself is not, a, not tradable. VXX is tradable. The idea is, essentially, is you can trade future volatility in the form of a, what looks like an ETF. It's a little different, but it's like a stock. So it looks like it acts like a stock. The big issue is VXX is not a stock. It has structural issues that are really important. It it declines over time because the VIX um, features are in um, contango <laughs> almost all the time, mm-hmm. which what that means is you have to, for VXX, you have to look at the two near months and the further month out is almost always higher than the nearer month. So in order for VXX to maintain 30-day duration, it effectively has to sell the nearer month and buy the outer month. It doesn't necessarily do it that way. I believe they can do swaps and non-listed products, but it effectively has to buy time over and over and over and over again. That um, has the effect of causing it to lose value over time. People, a lot of people come into this, see VIX expected to go up, or that let's say they expect VIX to go up. They say, hey, I can't buy VIX, but I can buy this VXX. So they buy it, and lo and behold, a week later, it's down, even VIX up or flat or slightly down or whatever. And it's just, um, it's been a disastrous product over time for a long term investor. You shouldn't buy it for any length of time, it's fine as a tradable way to play a very near-term move in, in VIX. It correlates pretty well, very, very, very near-term. It does not correlate well very like out in any length of time. I, sh- I should also mention that this is VXX2. There, there was a, <laughs> there's an original one that uh, the original the VXX was structured as, I think, a node of some sort, so it had a fixed expiration date. Mm-hmm. From inception to the fixed expiration date, which was a decade, I think it lost in like 99.9% of its value. 
And then they, they um, created a new one that now that started a few years ago that now has about a 30-year date, although I did read they could cut the plug at any time. <laughs> but wow. So this is, this is actually VXX2, but it's the same dynamic. Yeah, that just doesn't roll roll off the tongue as nice as VXX. How how would a retail trader read the VIX and, and adjust their their trading strategy? Um, I think VIX is a very good proxy for how good the market is for traders in general. Like it's a bit like um, the pool of available profits. Like a low VIX means like you know you really got to trade tightly and you really have to you technically have to play larger because if you like, want to get certain returns and whatnot, you'd need to trade more, you know, invest, trade bigger. Mm-hmm. So with, with VIX higher, it implies that the trading pool is, is just, you know, the pool potential profit is just bigger, you know, so that um, you can branch it out to, you know, momentum stocks, whatever, you know, just a higher VIX environment is just, it's just a better trading environment. So, you know, you can, Obviously, there's more opportunity to lose, but you know, if you want to be optimistic, it's you know more opportunity to, to make good trades. And um, so, I, th- I think the best way to look at it is that. And I don't think like VIX absolute levels are not great for calling the market. You know, um, you know when it gets extended, like like VIX versus its um, moving average is something I like to look at just to see if a move is um, too extended. Like when it, when VIX goes too far beyond its moving averages. I, I um, use the 10-day, which I think pretty much the popular one to use in that yeah. respect. Mm-hmm. That's a decent market indicator. But VIX absolute levels, I think, are just a good indicator of just the overall tradability of the market. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking up the VIX's 10-day right now just to just to curiously see where, where it's at. Looks like... I think five days above it. One, two, three, four, five days above it. And yeah, it's like a little. It's a little above. It's not. It, you know, it's not. Um, it got extended a couple of weeks ago. Yep, sure did. And then now, now yeah, it's right, kind of leveling out. Yeah, right now it's, it's pretty close. There's kind of nothing much to really look at there. You're right, though. I think that's definitely something that an investor or a retail investor just trying to get as much information as possible can keep an eye on. Uh, you know, just a, another alarm bell that they can use to say like, oh, okay, you know, it, it breached here. Let, let, let's keep watching it. I do want to pivot a little bit to the, the role in social media and in retail investing, given the, you know, I, I guess 2021, it really is when it really blew up. Don't want to focus too much on the GameStop stuff and everything that's been played over. I'm so sick and tired of seeing that GMA ticker. <laughs> But I do want to focus on the fallout. Uh, you are very active on, on Twitter. I, I, I want to try to understand how a retail investor can parse out good data from bad data. There is so much out there when you look on stock tweets on Reddit. How does one kind of separate the, you know, the real from the fake there? And how has that impacted your own trading mindset? Um, that's a good question. I, I've never gone on Reddit, so I don't know exactly good. Good. <laughs> how it works. I, I, I did used to be, um, I was one of the original stock tweets people. Like, I think it's one of the ones they recommended. It was probably, God, that must be like 12, 13 years ago. <laughs> I, I don't remember exactly, but I guess it can't be because Twitter, it must be a little more recent than that. But, um, stock tweets, um, is 
better and that they, you know, they, they don't just um, recommend anybody. You know, you have to have a bit of a track record mm-hmm. for them to, um, to plug, plug you and plug your material. It, 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 it's difficult. I, I think, um, you know, as a general rule, if someone's putting their name behind it and putting actual, you know, putting actual pics or, or advice in real time, you know, that, that, that stuff's good. You, you, got, you always got to watch out for like people that put out just the winners you know, it's trying to show you how good they've done. You know, it's hard to trust. I don't want to use this as a total blanket rule, but when someone's not putting their actual name behind it, that always good. The, 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 I, I think it, I think it creates a higher bar. I understand some people mm-hmm. just can't for you know maybe regulatory reasons yeah. or for some for, for some other reason. But um, I, I just think you should have a higher bar if the person's not attaching their name or attaching you know real time numbers and trades and whatnot so it, it's dangerous because I, I think you know like you said with the game stop you know this a, that was a winner but you know no one talks about you know the countless ones where you know they piled people <laughs> like bad ideas they'll pile them at the top and piled out at the bottom and i would just recommend being careful just look at people you who have a track record I think in the same way that when you're reading a news source these days, you have to look and see, okay, who who is, you know, who owns this organization, you know, yeah. who, who owns the media. You have to do research not on what the person is saying, but the who exactly is saying that. And I think that gets glossed over sometimes where someone can, you know, you can look up someone's charts that they're that they're peddling and it can be an echo chamber of like, yeah, 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 I really agree with that. But then look and see who this where this person has come from, uh, I think it is another step that needs to be taken. With that said, what are you looking at really in the next six months to so? Because we've got, you know, Johnson & Johnson's vaccine is awaiting approval from the FDA. Um, so, six months to a year, what's what are you keeping your eye on? Well, like I'm totally optimistic um, Societally, with um, the vaccines, and I think if anything, they're being undersold. I mean, I think I think you see too many articles of caution, and it's like you know, if you look, they're doing a great job of stopping you know severe cases, and mm-hmm. you know, it's no, no, they they, they, just, they just don't know the answer on like these symptomatic cases. They might be good stopping that too, but they're they're demonstrably doing a good job with um, severe cases. So I'm very, I'm very optimistic. Um, in the real world economy, um, I guess the question is more: Did the market price this in already? You know, because it's been going up for um, in anticipation of this recovery for a while now, and that's where I'm a little questioning: Are you going to get like a you know sell the news type thing? You know, as the numbers demonstrably get better, you know, you're seeing. I am not at all remotely an expert on bonds, but are the bonds telling you that hey, you know? The economy really is recover, going to recover, and you know, are we um, now going to start worrying about inflation and you know whatnot? And you know, start you know, we've have we priced in the recovery? Are we now going to start pricing in you know the not great effects of too fast recovery? But um, I'm not bearish, but it's like you know, it is. There's a question like how much of this is already priced in, and we're mostly there at this point in the actual market. Yeah, I think it's. You know, I, I remember the day after they officially declared Biden the winner, there was also vaccine news. I can't remember which one. And there I was the Pfizer news, I think. Yeah, I think it was the Pfizer. And there was a huge explosion. 
And it was just one of those days where everything you looked, everything was just, you know, shiny, perfect, and new. <laughs> and and you, you wonder now, three months later or so, was that it? And I, and I feel like that is kind of the question people need to kind of start asking themselves and saying, like, how do I get ready for a potential correction and, and whatnot? So, I, and, I, and I feel like keeping an eye on the VIX, keeping an eye on the VXX are ways to strategize when it's coming. Is that am I correct in saying that? or? Yeah, I mean, I think a good way to look at VXS, VXX is it, it behaves very much like a market put. Like it mm-hmm. decays for a different reason, but it, it is a um, a reasonable hedge against downside. I mean, you know, a hedge if it loses money for you isn't necessarily the worst thing in the world because yes. it might imply you're doing well with everything else. Exactly. So, it, you know, a market hedge, you know, the same way you would look at maybe buying some puts against a portfolio, you know. Well, I mean, VX and VX actually, <laughs> I wouldn't recommend this, but I would, I would just say like. <laughs> It has similar behavior to if you bought an index put. So it's not a, it, it's not terrible in that respect. The dynamics of the decay are different, but it's the effect is the same. You know, an option decays because time is running out. Right. Right. And and VXX decays because um, <laughs> the contango issue yep. of um, black, you know rolling futures more yeah. or less. Uh, one final question: <laughs> Who finishes with a better record? This year, the Red Sox or the Mets? That's easy, the Mets. <laughs> you know what? I'm afraid to say I am agreeing with you. We have uh, Captain Moneybags now running, owning the team. Jeez. <laughs> the Red Sox are uh, ah, taking profits right now. <laughs> just, you know, the, the Tampa Bay Red Sox over here. It's uh, What about, are, are you are you Jets or Giants? Uh, I'm a Giants fan. My, um, my, my family had season tickets from when I was a kid and then we uh, until they switched stadiums and they made you buy these um it was at the time those public seat licenses were big and it was like throw money down for no reason. <laughs> like, Got it. it just I just wasn't going as as much at the time anyway, so I gave them up and but um I am a Giants fan. They're periodically great. Yeah. But, um the their highs are very high. <laughs> but they won a lot of Super Bowls versus how good they generally are. So that's fun. Hey, but it's a Super Bowl. That's all that matters. Um, yeah. Well, then I guess the last one will be better record: Giants or Bengals. Well, I like Joe Burrow better than uh, Daniel Jones. I have to admit. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't love the way the Giants have. Yeah, been you know, I think managed we, the last few years. I think we got you. A better this year. I think we got you on that one. Yeah, I think I think the Bengals long term. Um, yeah, they got another high pick this year, I assume, and. I, I, yeah, I think they're in the right direction. Giants feel like they the, the, the Giants' division is terrible. The Bengals are in a good division, mm-hmm. so that's yeah. one fact in Giants' favor. But uh, the actual team, I think the Bengals are better going forward. In the next couple of years, well, we'll see. Hopefully, we the, you know there will be <laughs> actual people in the stands this this fall. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> so, uh, but that's about it for me, uh, Adam Warner. Thanks again for coming on. Do you have anything you'd like to plug or last minute things you wanna you know sign off with? No, I just like to tell everyone get your vaccine. It's going to help everyone. There you go. Hey, my parents. As soon as, you, as soon as your time's on the line, go get it. It's going to. My parents are getting theirs tomorrow, or no, today and tomorrow. So, oh, great. so you know, a lot of a lot of good feelings in the Martin family right now. So yeah, go get go get that jab. Um, <laughs> exactly. But other than that, thanks again for coming on. Maybe we can uh, do a summer episode. 
and checking in, checking in on all our teams and, you know, kind of recap what's been going on. I, I, I actually ran my, vet, my Mets victory lap. So thank you. There Thanks you for go. having me. <laughs> yeah. All right. We'll sign off right there. Thanks again, everybody. Cheers. 